to the Movie Planet's bonus show. All of the bloopers, outtakes, and discussions that have nothing to do with the movie of the week, well, we decided let's make a show of that too. Enjoy. Tell me more about this. Your child will not watch Star Wars? <laughs> will not watch Star Wars, yet she comes home from our mutual friend JC's house. Yes. Uh, fr friend of the pod. Uh, founding father of the founding pod. Founding father of the pod. Um, and uh, his son has sung <laughs> the Emperor's theme repeatedly. <laughs> now it's stuck in her head. And so she will sing it. She will scream sing it at me. And I'm like, oh, do you want to watch Star Wars? She's like, no. <laughs> I got three hours of Clone Wars at JC's. I'm good. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. Every time we're playing D&D, &D, I keep hearing in the background, I'm like, Clone Wars. <laughs> the kids are all right. The, the, she's doing just fine. <laughs> she's surviving for those three hours that we play over yeah, there. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. I'm wondering, do you want to scream two at some point? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and three. And, and four. Uh-huh. And five. There's... Uh, you could make a little seagull out of the the quality dip mm -hmm. in the scream movie. You absolutely like. could. I rewatched them actually after doing the show with you, and I was like, oh, I remember Scream Two being fun. Also, mm -hmm. I was growing up with the with the movies. Also, so I was around college. Also, yep. And it's the college years. It's like back uh, uh, Saved by the Bell. This college years, but I was like, wow, it's got Timothy Oliphant in it, and it still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got good actresses in it it, it still sucks <laughs> there's there's a lot that i like but the feel of it is almost like the um like a canadian production uh, yes <laughs> you get it like yes there's a vibe there's a sheen to it i agree feels like that yes and then it was scream four and i couldn't even finish scream four really and i don't know why i don't know if i just screamed out at that point mm -hmm. uh but i always remember scream four to me being the one i forget the most Yes. Well, I had only seen it once until the recent rewatch to, okay. to lead into six. Yeah. Um, which I did. And then I watched Scream again. Like, I'll watch Scream anytime. I love that movie. Of course. But four, I, I hate the look of. There's a, um, it's like if J.J. Abrams like took Coke. Oh, oh Jesus. Yeah. It's it's so smeary and flary and yeah. everything. And I don't know if it's just the the transfer that's going around right now that, that I have on iTunes or Apple movies or what have you. Maybe. Yeah. Could have been that's the style at the time. I Scream kind of, four. We're in the I mean, we're gonna talk about another person who plays with colors a lot. Michael <laughs> Bay. Yes, yes, we are. Uh and I had a fun discussion with Steve actually the other day about it, because we were talking about Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Okay. First one. Mm -hmm. And I said, where would you put that one? Would it go in animated or would it go in comic book? And he goes, well, it's an animated movie. Go, right. However, <laughs> I could make a case that it could be an A in the comic book one mm -hmm. and it would stay longer in the comic book one. Because we would always really? say, when we have those seven A's in there, if it came down to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or another movie, we would say, we got to keep Spider-Man in there because it's the only one represented as an animated movie. Right, yeah. And I it's competing with all these other ones. It's landmark. Yes. And he was going like, I got to watch it. So he watched it last night <laughs> and I'm waiting to hear from him today about it because I'm like, oh, tell me how, what you thought. That's. Uh, I'm excited for the new one. It's awesome. My daughter has seen it twice. Uh, Kira has watched it twice already. I've seen it twice. Okay. <laughs> um, 
and she went with my other daughter like it was a family outing apparently mm -hmm. when she went back to see it um we talked about going to the stardust drive-in okay to see it yet again all right because they have a double with that in the mario brothers movie oh cool i'm like that's a fun little double i was gonna say yeah very no, enjoyable no no it, it's it, it across the spider-verse is right now my favorite movie of the year okay yeah favorite one of the year and i and to think i saw the blackening last night hmm thought i well nobody else can see your face right now but. <laughs> <laughs> i i almost if you want to know what it was it's exactly what you think it is there you go okay <laughs> yes it's you know it's worth it for some people okay it's that, worth, that's a fair way to state things. it right has now. an audience yes <laughs> so, <laughs> being that we had just talked about the action adventure pantheon, we're not going to go over any grade changes that we possibly need to do. We did that last time we talked. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all for. We feel pretty good about this. Uh, Steve, however, is not happy with those John Wick movies. Really, Steve? D Steve liked the first one. He gave it an A minus. Mm -hmm. Where is it? His grade? He gave it an A minus. He gave Chapter Two an A minus. He gave Chapter Three a B minus. Really? Yeah. Okay. I can't fault that movie that much based on action alone. Well, his thing was the action felt too prolonged in it at times. Like we're, he goes, we're seeing the same moves over and over again. I go, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it still works. He goes, I know. But then they try to make it so big and what I go, that's the cool part of the movie. <laughs> so uh, three has the dog fight. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. That's that alone. I still maintain that is the best fight scene in those three movies yes. ever put to celluloid. Yes. Uh, the that and is the um, glass like museum looking one. Is that at the end of three as well? Yes. Which that fight is epic. Like it's amazing. That's when he fights the two guys from the raid. Also. Yes. Yeah. And he's so exhausted, and they're all just beat to hell. But they're also fanboying. Yes. They're like it's John Wick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Steve's low on the on the John Wicks. Okay. He's not happy with those. He goes, I'm going to watch chapter four. I go, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Because when we talk about it, I don't want to bring you on. And all of a sudden, we have two A's and a D because it was too long. I have here our little list here. I'm going to close this out. Okay. It's not distracting us. And I've highlighted some things where I just want a little, little extra. Just discuss with you a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, the discussion points. Um. And what I did is I, I looked at the grades that we gave last time in the four hour cut. Yes, the super cut. <laughs> the super cut. And I picked any grades that were like way different than everybody else's. Cause I want, I'd like to hear some expulsion of that. Yeah, copy that. Yeah. Um, and so we, we were good there. Biopic, we were good. Christmas film, we were good. Comedy, we were good there. Comic book. I think there was something in the comic book. Oh yeah, we got some yellows there. Yeah, there's, there's a few that I'm outlier on, I don't doubt. Yeah, 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 I mean, but just you know like shang chi and the ten rings okay okay you gave it a b plus yes uh as a film and then there was guardians 2 you gave an a minus 2 incredible hulk you gave a b2 uh but i also remember you saying that when you graded these you're really grading off of what your kids think yes so a lot of the comic book films i don't just bring my own stuff into right it's it is literally how does it affect me through them? Okay. And like having them having grown up with these series, mm -hmm. especially, I mean, um, when did, uh, Iron Man come out? 2008. 
2008. Yeah. Um, so my kids were three and five. Same year as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay. There are certain things that hurt my brain. <laughs> I, I can't comprehend some of this stuff. Those don't feel like the same distance of time. Really <laughs> How is that? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so would you say that if you were to watch these, you might look at them more critically? Uh, Shang-Chi specifically yeah. has, uh, I love uh, wuxia films. Okay. What are those? Your Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, is, yes. Yeah. Where it's the the magical uh, kung fu. Did you like Into the Badlands on Annie? I didn't watch it. Oh, it's on Netflix. Check it out. Okay. It's three seasons and it's that. Oh, cool. I swear by I loved it. In fact, Nick Frost is in it. Really? Nick Frost shows up in the second season as like a kung fu master. <laughs> and he's <laughs> amazing. It. He love it. He's great. But check that out. It's it's right up your alley if you like that. Sweet. Uh so, you know, Shang-Chi kind of gets a, a bump from me for being uh a mainstream representation of that when we haven't had one since for a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. That makes it in America, at least. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you had uh, Crouching Tiger and then uh, Hero. Here with Jet Li? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I do. I've started to appreciate those movies more in the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, you know, it's why I, I'm the high grade there for Shang-Chi. I, okay. like, I still appreciate what it is and what it tried to do. Yeah. Um, but... I, I think I knocked it because I was like, look, Aquafina is just annoying at this point. Like, she's like, <laughs> I, I get that. She yeah. walks like an old man. She talks like an old man who smoked a million cigarettes. Talk to me about Captain Marvel. Uh, Captain Marvel. And this is totally, once again, looking through my kids. Yes. Eyes. Um, that is uh, somewhat representative for, especially for my, uh, my middle child. Okay. So, it's one of those where I'm totally swayed by how I saw it affect her. I gotcha. Yeah. All right. As, yeah. As a dad watching this, uh, because honestly, a lot of these, unless we were doing them, yeah, I'd be real hit or miss on the series. Yeah. But because of my kids, I'm almost always there. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Well, we'll abandon the comic book pantheon then. Let's, uh, and by the way, if you've got issue with anything that I've got here, I can explain any of them. I've got no problem with that. <laughs> You, we didn't do the family films. Okay. Yeah. We've got E.T., Willy Wonka, oh. The Goonies, National Treasure, Gremlins, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and National Treasure Book of Secrets. Okay. I'm opting out of your National Treasures. Haven't seen those. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and Darby O'Gill, it was a... Um, it was Connery's first movie. It's one of those that would be on, uh, like, Sundays or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it as an adult, but I remember as a kid, I was like, I don't think I could differentiate it between like anything else though, that I watched at that point in time. No, it was, it, it was a very average Disney movie. Okay. Yeah. Totally fitting that. Yeah. Okay. How about E.T.? E.T. Um, I gave it an A plus. I think it's the one of the perfect family films out there. JC gave it an A minus. Joel gave it a B plus. Okay. Uh, E.T. Ooh. ETA plus. Yes. Another well, true believer. Well, um, and the reason why I gave ET, it, it still gets me in the feels. Yes. So, uh, three years almost to the day was the last time I watched ET. Okay. 
at the drive-in, uh, Stardust Drive-In, which I love going to, mm-hmm. um, with Kira. Okay. So personally and like critically, it was it killed it. Yeah, it has like no plot holes. Yeah. It's perfect all the way through. Yeah. Uh Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory from 1971. Caitlin and I both gave it an A minus in the family film genre. We think it's pretty it's okay. right there. It's right there. Yeah. It straddles a lot of different genres also. Yes. Do is there a classics pantheon? Just family film. Okay, just yeah, because then it's a matter of well, what do we define a classic as? Yeah, as long as time keeps going, classics range starts getting larger. Yeah, you have to go by like uh, what uh, classic car rules, where it's like it's got to be twenty five years or whatever. I'll say this: this this one has the largest range of movies from fifty nine to two thousand seven. Okay, but uh, the movies that you sit down with your family, like hey, it's Saturday night with the family, let's watch a movie. I'm gonna go A minus. A minus. Okay. Willy Wonka. I love that film. I do too. Yeah. I think it's I think it's timeless. I really do. And it, it, it it's so timeless that when Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out, people were like, nah, it's not Willy Wonka. Right. And it was more like the movie. It was more like the book. <laughs> Goonies. Okay. Goonies. I gave an A minus to it, but Sam uh Kootenkuller gave it a C plus. Sam. I know. Um Goonies is an A. It's an A, A all day, A all day for me. Okay, you're okay. Cool, you bumped that score up. I love uh, kids on bikes. If kids on bikes is a genre, I'm yeah. a sucker for it. From uh, your your Goonies is your Stranger Things is your Super Eights. Yes, uh, all of these kinds of things. Uh, Et oh, yes. kids on bikes, right? It's it's great. All the way to something like um, Super Dark Times. Okay, which takes and it's a, it is super dark. Okay. <laughs> but it has a lot of the feel. Uh, Summer of 84 is like a horror film that plays around with that kind of stuff. And there's always a bump from it. Yeah. Always a bonus. You know, what's funny is that when we during that, one of the things I loved about it was the fact that it showed you kids talking the way kids actually talk. Mm-hmm. And it's filthy and crude. And the parents aren't around to hear this stuff. Yeah. And I maintain that Chunk's Oh Shit <laughs> is one of the best Oh Shits ever. Oh, shit. <laughs> I could listen to that over and over again. Gremlins, Joe Dante, 1984. Gremlins, I just rewatched yes. uh, Gremlins. I gave it a B minus. Joel gave it a B minus. JC gave it a C. So we did, I did Gremlins on, um, I don't remember the name of the show. I guess on another podcast. Okay. Uh, and we did Gremlins from a, um, like a sociopolitical viewpoint. Okay. Okay. Like, you know. It's, the Western versus the Eastern ideas. Yes. Yeah. It's talking about Americana and all this kind of uh, consumerism. Yes. A, a lot of different stuff there. Uh, but my little heart loves the movie, no matter what else you say about it. It is a solid A for me. It's an A. Okay. See, I can get behind it because when I nominated Gremlins, my head th- thinks this is an A movie. Mm-hmm. And then when we started talking about it, I was like, uh-oh. There- oh, no. There's some problems here. Oh, there's some problems. <laughs> I got to knock it down a little bit, and I don't like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but it was one of those things where I was like, I'm giving it a B minus, but I love this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, at the time, we it was around Christmas time we were doing that, and I was like, can I nominate it for a Christmas movie? Okay. Because... You could make an argument. 
you don't even have to make the argument. It's the movie makes the argument for you. I mean, he doesn't receive the gift if it's not Christmas time. Yes. Therefore, Christmas is essential to the movie. Yes. <laughs> Much like Krampus. Thank you. Christmas is essential to it. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So those are the four you want to do. Horror. Okay. You gave mother a, a B. Mother! <laughs> okay. Tell me why this is a B movie. Beca why it's a better than average horror movie. Uh, because there are very few things that give me an actual scared, uh, anticipatory feeling. Okay. Like mother does. Mother and the witch... Now, I think that they are perfect deliveries for that type of anxiety. The elevated horror aspect. It, well, it's not the elevated part so much, is that they actually, uh, once again, they give me a feeling. Okay. Yeah. I have watched every Friday the 13th yeah. multiple times. They don't scare me. So it's the anxiety level that it gives you. Yeah. It is purely that it is effective on that level do i like it no 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 i do not like it i think it as a piece of work it was very well constructed you know what's funny is a buddy of mine last night uh oh boyd oh okay yeah boyd and i were talking last night he brought up avatar uh-huh and i told him what you had told me about it which is that if you have to see it in imax or in 3d is it a movie or an art installation right and we both had this conversation for like 10 minutes about it and i was like well, aren't all movies art? Well, <laughs> but is it an art installation? Of course, we just did Bad Boy, so I can't say that. <laughs> okay, well, I would say that that justification for that B makes sense then. The fact that it gives you the anxiety and all that stuff. And yes, those are things that you do feel when you watch Mother. I think yes. that's what Aronofsky was going after anyway. Just besides the fact that he was trying to explain the first five books of the Bible with people. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other part of it. But also, I think Aronofsky is a near master level craftsman. Like as far as the movies he puts together, whether you like him or not, yeah. I think it, he fits into that that um, almost uh, Kubrickian kind of level of attention to detail yeah. uh, that he wants to have in his films. And I'd say critically speaking, he's viewed the same way as Kubrick, mm -hmm. which is he, critics will be hit or miss on him. Yes. But he doesn't make technically bad movies right he makes technically amazing movies yeah uh but it just doesn't always speak to everybody right he is somebody who i think is following his own obsessions yes uh for good or for ill and i have feelings for his movies both both directions chazelle same way okay yeah he follows a lot of his own oh yeah 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 which did you see his latest movie Yes, I did. What was it called again? Babylon. Thank you. I heard bad things about it. I didn't mm -hmm. see it. What did, what did you think of it? Oh, oh, I am a sucker for that movie. Is it because it's like kind of a reflection of old Hollywood and all that? And the um, It did help that I was reading uh, a book came out last year. It's an oral history of Hollywood. Okay. Um, I think Janine Basinger and somebody else um, combed through hours of archival stuff to get all these old stars and stunt people and uh, David O. Selznick and all these different people and put it together as oral history, which is, it's a great read. It's very fast. Right. Um, but I was reading that the same time I went and watched Babylon. Okay. So a lot of the stuff that they're talking about and they're showing, I had this background for, and like when they switched to, to sound mm -hmm. and the way that like, literally uh, they put the camera and the cameraman 
in a padded box <laughs> with a little window so you couldn't hear it. That's crazy. And cameramen would pass out because it would get so hot. In oh, jeez. You're in the, the California sun right. baking in a box covered in mattresses. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. So it was hitting you at the right time then. It just everything you were diving into just built right into the Babylon. Absolutely. And it is much more a... Um, people accused uh, Fablemans of being like, look at the wonder of cinema, when I think it's much more... Um, it's a, a thorny. Movie. Okay. Babylon is much more of an entertainment. Okay. Much more has the, oh, movies are magic. See, that's what I thought of Hugo, actually. Oh, yes. I thought Hugo was just one big dick-sucking thing with itself. Like, oh, we love movies? You, you Let's just like suck the dick thing. of our own, our own movie thing. It's like, Hugo wasn't that great a movie. Let's calm down a little bit. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't Scorsese's greatest, okay? No, no it's, it's, a, it's a charming. It's charming. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know what it was? It, I called it Scorsese's impersonation of Spielberg. Okay, you're not far off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, musicals. Mm -hmm. We got to talk about Rocky, man. <laughs> Oh, Rocky Horror. Yes. I'm not talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. And you gave it a B. Uh-huh. As a finished product. Yes. What are some of the things that you feel makes it deserving of the B grade? Uh, I think it, I mean, first of all, it is a B movie. It is right, but our A, B, C, D is not yes, following the same yes. thing because Sharknado is a B movie, also. But I'm not going to give it a B. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it is, but I think much like Little Shop of Horrors, okay, it is. It knows what it's doing. It is put together in such a way that it's like, okay, we are paying homage and we are part of the discussion of B films. So it is like an or B film, right? It is. It's a love letter to B films. Yes. And it itself, uh, you have the, the mad scientist and then you have the guy who explains everything in the wheelchair. You have all these tropes that come together to play in this movie. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very clever. Okay. I think the writing is clever. The idea of like, you've got a Frankenstein uh, and you've got meatloaf in there as well as like the previous. It's so, it's silly but it knows what it's doing. See, I look at it as if this movie was released in theaters today, mm -hmm. what would I grade it? If this movie came out today as brand new, like, oh, check this out, this would be bad. But if you are, uh, if you take cultural impact into consideration at all, mm -hmm. like for a lot of people, it's one of the only musicals they know. I would question those people. <laughs> <laughs> if they, you need to get out then. <laughs> I mean, this is coming from someone who has only watched the sound of music in the past, like two years or so. The last time I saw sound of music was probably about 15 years ago. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, I just never seen it. Uh, I still couldn't tell you what happens in the last 20 minutes of that movie. <laughs> they escaped from the Nazis. I don't remember. I remember there's a, a mountain they climb. They climb, Do they climb every mountain? They climb every mountain. That's, I think you're mistaken. It is literally every mountain. I walked right into that. <laughs> and how do you solve a problem like Maria anyway? <laughs> okay, well, I can appreciate that aspect of it. Uh, I don't tend to take cultural impact into things because I feel like as we you know, we can look back at it and be like, yes, it was important then, but if I'm putting together the seven greatest musicals of all time and somebody says, oh, what are the seventh greatest? Mm -hmm. Rocky Horror might be like, I got an honorable mention. If you like those seven, check out Rocky Horror also. That You might have fun with that one. But I got to point out, 
Yeah, why not? You don't have seven up there yet. No, not yet. Yeah. So it's place at the the bottom. There's sound of music. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where it is placed in relation to everything else. No, it's it's rightly placed. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm the outlier, but you know, honestly, and this is going to sound awful. Mm-hmm. Even though I've given Newsies a better grade, mm-hmm. I enjoy Rocky Horror better. I yeah, I can get that. I can't stand Newsies. <laughs> I can't stand it. In fact, it, the fact that I've given it a D minus, I know why I gave it a D minus. Uh-huh. It's unwatchable for me. But Rocky Horror, it's so, I've said it before, it's so bad it's great. Got it. Yeah, because yep. you're right. It's a love letter to B movies, which are substandard movies. Yes. But we enjoy them. Yeah. You know, it's the USA Up All Night with Gilbert Gottfried and, and Rhonda Shear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, Monster Vision. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, I forgot about Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. Oh my God, you're taking me back. Did I tell you I met him? You like, did where? Um, over at uh, was it in Hermitage? Mm. The theater. Um, I believe he was here for one of the conventions and did a speaking engagement where he talked about um how uh Redneck saved Hollywood. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a case for it. Yes, it's like over and over. You go back to the Redneck well. Um with you know uh car chase movies Mm -hmm. and running moonshine movies and burt reynolds doing anything and eventually you get tucker and dale versus evil and you go yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) mystery and thriller you never gave grades for these i did not usual suspects Mm. brian singer's first movie i gave it an a and this is mystery and thriller JC gave it a B plus. Joel gave it a B plus. Sam gave it an A. I think it's Brian Singer's strongest film ever. And it's a shame he peaked at the beginning. Yeah. But you know who else's uh, film? Uh, I don't know if it's an early film or was it his first? Singer. No. Christopher McQuarrie. He wrote it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. This was pre-Mission Impossible, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because Mission so. Impossible was in 96, I think. So that guy, I mean, has just launched into a whole other. No, he, you know, he, he was Sorkin before Sorkin, where he was writer turned director all of a sudden. Okay. Yeah. Cause everybody thought Sorkin was just right forever. No, yeah. now he's directing long movies, but he's still directing. <laughs> <laughs> Molly's game takes forever. Okay. Uh, so usual suspects. Um, it's faded a little bit in my estimation but I still think it's really good. Okay. Um, and it is one, I would argue, the twist gets you the first time, but the twist doesn't matter. The movie is good enough. There's only a couple twist movies that I'm like, oh no, you can watch the movie over and over again. Because the twist, like, doesn't really, you know, it, it's not everything hinges on it. It's the rest of the movie is great as well. And for me, I, I claim Usual Suspects has one of my top five greatest twists of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's we talked about it with Fight Club also because that was in my top five also. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the twist is that it does force you to go back and go. Whereas in Fight Club, you go back and you're trying to figure out, okay, did like when is Tyler Durden on the screen and nobody else is on the screen? Right, when right. you're trying to figure that out and be like, where's the hole? Where'd they fuck up in this movie? They never fucked up once. Yes. How did that happen? And 
what I love about usual suspects is that it's not, you're not watching something linear. You're watching the liar's story. Mm -hmm. And so you're watching it a second time, knowing that Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Soze. Right. And you're trying to figure out which part of the story is he fucking up? Yeah. Which part is he lying about and how genius was the lie? And I like for me, usual suspects some of those movies I can watch like every five years or so mm -hmm. and be like, okay, I love this movie. And even by the end, when he drops the teacup on the ground, you see it says Kobayashi in the back. You're yeah. like, God, that's so good the way it was done. And um, I, the only thing that pulled it off of an A plus for me as a perfect mystery thriller movie mm -hmm. was the fact that the dialogue just hasn't aged as well. Okay. Which means that in about three or four years, when we re when I revisit this grade again, I may drop it down to an A minus next. Yeah. Because dialogue continues to evolve. Yes. Uh, but I, the story itself is still so strong and works today. Uh, I do think if I am judging it by the standards of what I would let a movie pass with today. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, not quite savory talk. No, that, no. There's some. There's some offensive things that are said. But yes. okay, be offended. Uh, <laughs> but I've got to say, uh, the performances yeah. also, especially uh, Benicio. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> mumbles. Yeah. Flip you, man. I love it, man. Flip you. <laughs> I love it. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> And he just starts laughing. What the fuck? What? What do you want? Give me the keys. <laughs> Give me the key, motherfucker. In English, please. What do you want? What do you want? So good. I love that that whole scene was improvised, too. Yes. And uh, who was it? One of the guys couldn't stop farting. Oh, uh, was it Gabriel Byrne? I don't remember. I, I don't know if Gabriel Byrne has ever farted. He's He seems a little too uptight for for his own good. Gabriel Byrne, my favorite performance, mm. uh, Miller's Crossing. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's up. a really good one. Yep, I 1990. Think for me, it's Usual Suspects. I, I just see him and I just see that character. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm swayed by the fact that he didn't want to play. He didn't want to be in the movie. In Usual Suspects? Yeah. That's not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> First time director, slap slap together crew of actors. Mm -hmm. These weren't like, you know, the best ones ever. You had Stephen Baldwin, for God's sakes. You had an unknown, for the most part, Kevin Spacey. Yes. Uh, which I'm trying to think, 95, we just did Fight Club. That was 99. 99. So I think Suspects was his first theatrical. Um, Was it? For some reason, I think it was. Let's see. Oh, the greatest trick the ever devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. <laughs> it's a good line. It's a great line. There's so many quotable lines in that movie. <laughs> uh, a minus. A minus. Okay. A -minus. That's a fair grade. How about the prestige? We had mm. Nolan talk a few, a few yes. weeks ago. Um, and I'm going to, I told you I was uh, rewatching Batman the other night oh okay my plan is to watch all the batman the batman yeah i love how you say those things like the batman the spidermans yes uh, so i'm gonna watch all every which i've even delved into some of the dc cartoons oh the animated series yes not even the series like um gotham by gaslight oh the mask of, of the phantasm and yes. stuff like that okay yeah. i've never been able to watch those 
Like you can't get through them? I or? can't get through them. Okay. I don't know if it's because the style of animation. Yeah. It's probably that. It's like anime for me where it's like I've, well, it's not like anime because anime, it's it, it's stylistically, for me, it's I've aged out of the stilted way it's animated as opposed mm -hmm. to how it'd be animated today. Yeah. It's hard for me to visually pay attention to things. Yeah. But I know that apparently Batman the Animated Series is one of the best things ever yes. to come apart or yeah. come out. Yeah. And I'm just like, but I can't get through it. I missed my window. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like somebody have told me like on Saturday mornings, the best cartoon is Hammer. Oh, wow. The MC Hammer cartoon. Yes. I, like, I missed my window. <laughs> Whereas Dancing Shoes did things. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, uh, would that have been in the same era that there was a, was it a Pee Wee Herman? Oh, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. But there was an animated one. Was there not? I don't know. I'm intrigued. Okay. I love Paul Rubens. <laughs> okay, Prestige. So, Prestige, I literally uh, watch what's the, the Illusionist and Prestige. <laughs> they came out the same time. Yes. And I, I like to watch them near each other. They give me uh, like a good little sense of what's what was popular <laughs> at the time. 2006, 2007? 2006. 2006. Yeah. Um, but... Prestige, I think is it's a whole other level. Yeah, it really is a great little movie. Uh, it's got to be B plus A minus. Pick one. Okay. It's not as good as Usual Suspects. It's a B plus. Oh, B plus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. See, you know, you know, I'm gonna fuck it up now. Well, I gave it a B. Caitlin gave it a B plus. Uh huh. It's one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. Okay. Yeah, because we talked about just like how sociopathic Rose is in that movie. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I look, I, as far as you, I can say, you could go anywhere with this grade because there are things you can point out as problems, but then you could be like, but are they problems? Because they're part of the, the dialogue, the narration of it. That's the plot that they're telling you. Mm -hmm. So you're not really gonna fuck up my world on this one. Okay, it's an A. Okay. It is, it's one of my favorite ventures to revisit. I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, also, and this is where- the, I forgot it was a venture too. Uh, this is where the personal stuff comes in. Uh, it was one of the last movies I watched with my now ex-wife, <laughs> which is so perfect. It's, it's excellent. Good to know. Well, you've just elevated Gone Girl above the prestige. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm, it's it's up by 0.333. Okay, then I'm, I'm barely okay with that. I'm I'm a third of a point okay with that. That yeah. works. And finally, Basic Instinct. I gave it a B minus. Sam gave it a C minus. Once again, if the how movie, do you grade Paul Verhoeven? <laughs> yes, because like Rocky Horror, right? Like he is making Fincher also with Gone Girl is making a B movie. Yes. He's making an airport novel yeah. uh, movie. And, but he's doing it to such a degree that it elevates it. Basic Instinct is just the strongest version of the sexy thriller that you could have. I don't think it's, it's funny because that was made in 92. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't make that movie today. No. Which is crazy how prudish we have gotten. Yes. Because normally things escalate as time goes on. Yeah. This one, people saw Basic Instinct, they're like, tear it up. We've broken the mold. We are not going yeah. any further than this. <laughs> I, remember, remember when movies were horny? Oh my God, yes. 
Everybody know, listen, if you watch a movie from the 1970s through about 1994, 95, and you knew that there was a love scene in it, you knew exactly when it was before you even watched the movie. It was 60 minutes in. 60 minutes in, yes. that's where the love scene goes. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that I used to have a system for scrolling through... <laughs> VHS tapes when I was a young teen. You learn a lot when you're 14. Yes. <laughs> yep. Basic Instinct is the, I mean, Michael Douglas, his shtick for a while was a guy who could be led around by his dick. Yes. Like, that's what he, he seems uh, always like a little out of sorts and a little harried. And he, it's so much so that he got the reputation as an, as a human being of being a sex addict. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I think that you covered everything plot wise and uh, actor, actorly speaking. Yeah. The cinematography in the movie is, so, it's pinpoint perfect. Yes. It is razor sharp. Yeah. Like, it is cold. It is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It is crisp. Uh I think in a way that serves Verhoeven incredibly well. Yeah. Like it's, it's his best shot film, which is not surprising considering that it was Yonda Bond. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think now looking at it, it's better shot than Starship Troopers. <laughs> yes. Which, <laughs> which is another movie that works. It still looks good today. Yes. Uh, and I think is a much better and misunderstood movie. Yes. Then people give you credit for. Mm -hmm. I remember when it came out, people were like shitting on it. Like, you're kind of not getting it. No, he, Paul Verhoeven had like a four year span where everything he did was a hit. Yeah. Uh, so it is the, the Ur version, right? It mm -hmm. is the, if you're going to lean into this thing and we did, there was a decade, decade and a half of, uh, of sexy thrillers. Oh, yes. And we're I'm like, sure I watched all of them. <laughs> I mean, from maybe from Body Heat, you're talking like oh. 80, 81, yes. something like that, where a man is literally led around a room by his dick. Or Jade. Yes. Okay. Jade with Linda Fiorentino. Yep. Even she got someone to be led around by his dick. <laughs> um, bound. Bound was another Going one. Going back to Joey Pants. Joe, oh my God, there he is again. <laughs> Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon. Thank you very much for that. Uh, right in the same area of Wild Things. Denise Richards and Scream. <laughs> Nev. Yes, but what's funny is the only nudity we got really was Richards' tits and Bacon's bits. Yeah. <laughs> Bacon's bits. Uh, so all that to say... I think that you you said a little bit about its cultural importance too. I did, but I also didn't grade it high because of it. Okay. I said even though it has cultural Okay. It, 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 I'll say this, it is the best erotic thriller ever to put on a big screen. Mm -hmm. But it's still a B minus to me. Cuz today's standards I don't know. I think if it came out it would do I think it would do gangbusters because we are starved. Very. <laughs> but are we? I mean, we back then in 92, if you wanted to see something naked, you had to go to the store and pick up a magazine. Yes. So what do you think? Basic instinct. 
Um, I think it's a solid B. A solid B. I think solid B. Straight across the board B. And you know what? I'm moving my grade up also because after reading that, I was like, God, you know, maybe I was too harsh on this. Yeah. I do think it's a really good movie. Yes. Uh, and I think that those that watch it and just get turned off by the nudity are missing the point. Mm-hmm. The point is, if you took all that sex out of it, it's still a good movie. Yes. In fact, you might even say it's elevated. If you take the twist out of Usual Suspects, it's still a good movie. Absolutely. So uh, it's not something that just relies on that one aspect of it, yeah. even though that aspect is notable. Right. Okay, so we got those in there. So the Pantheon, only thing that's changing that Pantheon is that Gone Girls will be above Prestige. Okay. Thank you, ex-wife. <laughs> Romance. We got Pretty Woman, Titanic, When Harry Met Sally, and Never Been Kissed. Um, haven't seen Never Been Kissed since it came out, so let's take that off the board. Yeah, okay. Um, how about When Harry Met Sally? Which I gave a B plus to, but I'm raising that to an, I'm raising it to an A minus. It's one of my favorites. Okay. Two, two notable things. Yes. Uh, first of all, it is the first movie I watch every year. Interesting, because of New Year's? Yes. Good time to watch it. Yes, Elizabeth and I watch it. Uh, it's like, you know, and we watch it over midnight, basically. Yeah. Like, you could try to time it so that the ball drops at the same time, but that'd be ridiculous. Um, Has one of the greatest monologues for New Year's ever written. Yes. Yes. Um also, it introduced me to Harry Connick Jr., which yes. was a very big part of uh, my like middle school, high school musical growth. Okay. Which, you know, that got me into jazz, but also he has this other thread of like um, adult pop. Yeah. That wasn't quite as soft as like a lot of things. Who would have thought that a kid from New Orleans would be the sound of New York in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> Nolan. Um, so it, that is an A-plus movie. A-plus. You know what? I can't disagree with that. I nominated that one because I was like, this is the best romantic comedy I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, eh, but Pretty Woman's up there too. <laughs> Pretty Woman. Um, what was the original title of Pretty Woman? Horrors on Parade? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh I have to remember this. Oh, it was originally called 3000. Why 3000? Because that's how much money he gives her. Oh, okay. Yes. That'd be an interesting title. Like Um, bulletproof hearts. Yes. (laughs) Um, and there, there was the original version of the script was much darker. Okay. So like they took it and turned it and then turned it again to, be this magical thing because it was like I believe a fairly dark drama oh wow with kind of the same like you know uh, the same hook well it was a good turnaround yes Uh, my mom might get upset but I'm gonna go A minus A minus for pretty woman yes okay and uh, Titanic now I this is only as a romance okay so this falls into that Christmas argument Yes. Is it a romance or is it a, an, I'm sorry, is is it a drama? Uh-huh. Or is it a romance with drama happening in the background? And I maintain that the whole point of the movie is the love between Jack and Rose. It's not a, the Titanic is the background. That's the background part of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
And as when you see where Rose, because I gave it a B plus, and Caitlin gave it a B plus, Steve gave it an A minus. He loves Titanic. Uh, when you consider the fact that the story is timeless and that it's this uh, well-to-do rich girl who meets the backwater boy and wants out of that life and decides to sacrifice all that for this right here, mm -hmm. you know, and it works and it works. And what's helped is they're in the same place and they're locked in that place. Right. The Titanic crash is just fun for the eyes because the story exists without that falling down. Yes. And that's why I'm like, I think it's more of a romance than it is a drama. I would contend that um, it's one of the, once again, I'm leaning on the cultural impact, but most important and best put together pieces of pop cinema. Oh, I like that. Ever. I like that. In that Spielbergian mold of like, let's hit everybody. We're and, gonna, we're gonna get every quadrant and every genre is represented. There's horror in this. There's yeah, it, it's everything. Yeah, um, but as a romance, mm -hmm. looking at it as a romance, um, I don't think I love the romance aspect as much as I do the movie overall. Okay, so I think the movie overall is. Uh, in a right i agree as a romance that's why i knocked it down <laughs> yeah as a romance it's a b plus it's a b plus yeah. yeah and that's the thing is i've i've told people it's like you got to pick one pantheon because that's part of the game yeah and does it fit in there and i'm because there are times when we've done like movies where i'm like you know if you'd chosen this one you would have gotten a higher grade it may be staying longer uh -huh. but you chose this one instead um <laughs> Have you ever uh, listened to or heard of Screen Drafts? That sounds familiar. It's a podcast where, uh, and it's a bunch of friends. Yeah. Uh, and you, from a particular list, you have to draft your best films out of it. Okay. Uh, and like they'll do a director's version or a particular genre or whatever. Uh, and the game aspect of it is you got to think about where you're placing things right. in order to not get called out on it. And that's exactly it. It's like, that's why I'm like, okay, let's talk about some of these because we can have a discussion about all of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Science fiction. Oh boy. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know you love these movies, uh huh. but are they good movies? Okay. <laughs> so, Matrix Reloaded. Yes. That was the second one. Yes. Um, I gave it a C minus. Sam gave it a B minus. You gave it an A minus. Okay. You put in the A. You thought, it, it, when you look at your grades here, you find Matrix Reloaded to be a better science fiction movie than Enemy Mine, Back to the Future Part 2, Jurassic World, Back to the Future Part 3, Jurassic Park 3, Dominion, uh, I will definitely hold with all of the Jurassic Parks being lower. Fair. Uh, and, I mean, the ones that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first one, that's a whole different ball of wax <laughs> you're getting into there. Um, but I, I, did I personally rank it higher than Back to the Future 2? We were, when we were at this point in the show, we were at the end of the show, we were three and a half hours in. Okay. I think we are just going, 
What was your letterbox grade? Let's just throw it in. <laughs> yes, got it. Copy that. Um, so in addition to uh, explaining myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm like, dude, look at my grades. If you have anything you want me to explain, I'll be, uh -huh. I can, I can try. Um, I think Reloaded, I had, I think I had just rewatched them. Shortly you did have, yeah, you had, yeah. Because um, you were on, you were watching all four of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was pretty high on them at the time. Uh, let's, let's go to a B plus on that one. A B plus. Yeah. Okay. And the only other one I want to ask about is um, <sighs> Revolutions. Because Revolutions, you pulled right out of the Global Killer. Yes. It was, we had Fs across the board and you gave it a B plus. Yeah, I'm a fan. I know you're a fan. I'm a fan of Weekend at Bernie's. It's still a bad movie. <laughs> Once again, um, I don't think, I mean, from a bad movie perspective, it is craft speaking. It's not like it's, yeah, it's beautiful and it is put together. Yeah. Um, Production company wouldn't put it on the theater if it wasn't put together. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some things. <laughs> Well, we'll get to Alien 3 in a second. Don't worry. Because <laughs> that was really the touchstone where Steve was listening. goes, he called me up and goes, Josh gave it 100%. I'm like, we'll address this on a later date. <laughs> um, I think it is uh, the, the set pieces are phenomenal. For revolutions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it kind of... Uh, Oh, also for me, uh, I know the ending you don't like because it negates yes. a lot of the journey that came up to that point. Yeah. But I think um, a lot of the, the emotional beats up until that point, for me, are fairly inarguable. And I would say that its pleasures outweigh the the negative that the ending might bring to you. Okay. Me personally. So keeping it a B plus. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, let's just dive right into this shit. Okay. Okay, Mr. Alien. I love the Alien movies also. Uh-huh. I do. And honestly, I'm looking forward to rewatching these after the show today. Because <laughs> I just love them so much. Yes. Like, I love Resurrection. Okay. I love Resurrection. I love the fact that I get to see them doing things I've never seen them do before. Yes. And, you know, it's just, they're fun. They're fun movies, and I... I know that it's ridiculous to think that they cloned Ripley after she got burned to death in Alien 3 at the end. Uh, I'm still buying that. Like, <laughs> Josh, fact, come on! <laughs> the fact that, that she decided to come back for another one. Oh, well, no, don't get me wrong. What happened outside the film is miraculous. Yes. But... Why did we do it? <laughs> this was, if this was the end... If this was the end, we were going to give her. Mm -hmm. which was a passing of the torch that never actually goes to anything. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about Alien Resurrection. I want to talk about Alien 3. Okay. So I pulled, because remember last time we talked about it and we were trying to figure out what I had said about it and I forgot my notes. I didn't know what they were. I, I yeah, erased yeah. them. Well, I found them. <laughs> this was what I said on the podcast about Alien 3. Okay. Report uh, card for a sci-fi horror film. I'm torn on this. 
On the one hand, I give it a lot of credit to David Fincher for trying to pick up the pieces and create something that visually looks good with no story to start with. This is like someone hiring you to build a house with no blueprints, but they've already poured the foundation. <laughs> Coincidentally, the evil corporation that continually messes everything up in the alien films is the studio execs making this film. The theatrical cut has plot holes all over it. After about 20 minutes of the film, I looked at JC smiling and asked, does it seem like there are some crucial scenes missing? How did the egg get in the ship? Why is Ripley being impregnated by a mystery... Why is it a mystery when you showed us her cryotube at the beginning getting compromised by the facehugger? Why switch from a dog in the theatrical to an ox in the assembly cut? And you think to yourself, all right, it'll be on the assembly cut. The answer's no. The story is vastly different in nearly 45 minutes longer. I'm busy. Even, da even David Fincher won't claim this movie as his own. That's why it's not a director's cut. It's an assembly cut. When he asked by the studio to do a director's cut, he told them straight up, there isn't one. This isn't a failure because without this movie, you don't get David Fincher. But guess what? I'm giving this an F. There are good things to find in this film. I like how 90% of it is shot. The aspect ratio changing bothered me. The cast is such a fantastic group of actors who do, you, who do what they can with what they've got. The sets are compelling in that they remind you of the original Alien with the tunnels and corridors that make you feel like there's nowhere to run. But there is some place to run. Outside! <laughs> They're not in space. They just run outside. Yeah. Done. The sets, uh, let's see. Or move uh, compounds. Prisoners with no character development, unless you watch the poorly paced assembly cut, gives you nobody to care about. The ending of the theatrical cut is great. Ripley kills herself as the queen bursts through her chest. The ending of the assembly cut is lame. No chest burster. Just the death of Ripley. This is a full-on F for me. I think this is my first F. So that's what oh, I had said about it. my first F? <laughs> Now, as I'm listening to that, you'll notice I've changed my grade from an F to a D. Okay. Uh, because I recognize that 60% of what I said there was about the making of the movie and not so much the movie itself. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, I had to pull it out of that spot myself. Okay. It's still a below average alien movie, mm -hmm. let alone a science fiction horror movie uh, because of all the things that are missing in it. Uh, and I do wish Fincher would just say, you know what? I want to revisit this and just Zack Snyder Justice League this thing and do it my own way. Even if um, he had to do the uh, what they've done with Doctor Who with some early episodes that got destroyed where they've gone back, they have audio tracks. Oh. Uh, and they've animated them. That's interesting. Yeah. Even if you had to do something like that. Yeah to, okay, this is the best version I could come across. Yeah. Uh, which I feel like if it was a Soderbergh movie, he would have he done, that. done that. He would have done that by now. <laughs> he would have cut in other films to complete his, to get it out there, because that's what he wanted to do. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing will stop that man. No. <laughs> I'm going to film all this on my iWatch. Take that. Yep. <laughs> but having, knowing those things and how I mean, at least Blade Runner has a final cut. Mm -hmm. There is no definitive cut of this movie. Okay. It's almost like the forgotten one of the franchise where they're like, let's pretend it didn't happen. I mean, even Fincher doesn't like this movie. Yes. So knowing that, and you've given it an A plus. Uh-huh. An A plus, <laughs> that means you think it's a perfect science fiction horror movie. Yes. Do you still think it's an A plus? Yes. 
Why? What okay. makes what makes it better as a movie, as a product, than Prometheus, for instance? Um, because once again, it fills me with feeling. As far as a science fiction horror movie, mm-hmm. it's got all all the stuff that I want in science fiction. It's not hard sci-fi. No, with it does doesn't explain a whole lot of the technology to you. Uh, outside of the planet, it's harsh. It's also no technology in that movie, really. Yeah, and that's it's, the whole point of the planet. Yeah, it's supposed, you, to, be a, you, it's supposed to be a monastery. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't get shit. Which there's so much that they had talked about doing that would have been cool. Exactly. But I can't blame that on the movie that exists. See, for me, I can look at that and be like, when I look at the movie that existed, I can see the elements of those things. Yeah, absolutely. But I can't imagine a prison planet where there's no guards with weapons. Okay. That's stupid. Uh, the There's a take online that after we've talked about it, I looked up because it's one of my favorite uh, critics. Okay. He works, he works at Scarecrow Video, or at least worked at Scarecrow Video, which has the largest collection of uh, rentable physical media. Okay. It's up in Seattle. All right. It's like, I want to go to this place just to be around it, right? <laughs> uh, so his quote is, it's a bleak, beautiful taunt, rejecting any notion of being satisfying or exciting that to this day, nobody knows what to do with. Movies like this barely get made on purpose, let alone by a series of flukes and mistakes. Right. That's very true. Yes. This is one of those things where it was put out because they had a time it had fit it in. Yes. They set a date. They have to get a movie out. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the fact of that it's not like a lot of other Fincher stuff. It's not satisfying on that first level. Yeah. Of where like, okay, what what do I want to watch a Star War? You know, if I'm watching science fiction, like that's a, a rousing film and, and is very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Aliens. Is satisfying. Is satisfying on that level. You got the oorah of it. Yeah. For me personally, I like to flip the middle finger at that kind of stuff once in a while. And I really appreciate the things that do because they're so few and far between. So I'm glad that you said that because it's going to lead us to the last Jedi discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, okay, we'll keep that hundred in there. I'd, I'd say that was a damn good ex- explanation. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I uh, Okay. You'll notice I've highlighted all the Star Wars ones. Every single Star Wars. Now, the reason I originally was just I had Last Jedi highlighted, but I was like, you know what? I listened to the when we you and I talked about before, Mm -hmm. and there was one thing that you had mentioned in it about The Last Jedi that I kind of want to challenge about. Okay. You said when you watch Last Jedi as just a standalone. Yes. I don't think you can look at Last Jedi as a standalone. And the reason why is because it's like looking at chapter 15 in a book. And just saying, well, that chapter was great, mm-hmm. but it is part of a book. Okay. And it's meant to be part of an entire narration. And if it doesn't follow said narration, then it's a a fault okay. by that chapter. Um, the... The other thing you said about Last Jedi was you loved it because it was kind of a middle finger. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I do like it when orga- when uh, franchises do give the middle finger. Mm-hmm. But it's because the franchise fucked up in the past. 
Okay. You deserve the middle finger then. This hadn't fucked up yet. Oh, I beg to differ. This, no, because I know that you're, first of all, you made the mistake of watching the prequels first. <laughs> that was your first mistake. Because if you watch them four, five, and six, and then one, two, three, you appreciate the prequels more. But I've seen four, five, six enough times that I'm culturally speaking, uh, even just the osmosis of them is within my DNA, having grown up when I did right. so much that I think no matter if I'm doing a rewatch, I carry the weight of those. Mm -hmm. But you could the other ones. you could say that one, two, and three still fit the story, and they aren't worthy okay. of a middle finger because they are telling the story of the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. Yes. And when you watch Last Jedi, and yes, it does, actually you could, you could make an argument that uh, The Force Awakens also, they give a middle finger to the prequels. Mm -hmm. You're negating what the point of the prequels was. So uh, the point of the prequels doesn't bother me. Yeah. The, the way it tells the story is what bothers me. And for me, like I look at the, the story itself and when you look at the psycho psychology behind it and all that stuff, it does make, don't get me wrong, George Lucas can't write dialogue. We know this. Yes, yeah. And it's why you look at Empire, you look at Return of the Jedi, different directors, mm -hmm. wasn't Lucas. Lucas did one, two, and three. Right. So it was his story, um, but it was also his words he was making these actors say. Mm -hmm. I mean, Natalie Portman's a fantastic actress. No one was going to get her to act out these words any better than she did. <laughs> right. Um, but when you look at Last Jedi, the fault of, I think, Force Awakens was that people thought it was too much of an echo of what they had seen in the past. Yes. And so Last Jedi, when you look at Last Jedi and you say, well, okay, maybe they will help to fill in the holes that Awakens did and send it in a trajectory that's significant to Star Wars and the overall narrative. If you're going to call yourself episode seven, mm -hmm. you're not starting a standalone. You're part of a thing. And one through six is the tragedy and the eventual redemption of Darth Vader. Seven takes place with his grandchild, Kylo Ren, kind of starting to follow the same path. And in eight... Now what you do is you take everything that, because I made the argument that Luke is the chosen one. Yeah, okay. Because I think you could make, I think you could make the argument. I don't know if it's right or not, but I think you'd make the argument. And you basically say Luke is a failure. And when you do that, you almost want to go back and see, okay, well, where did Luke fail along the way? He didn't have any. So right. the middle finger you're giving is more just punk than anything else. Mm -hmm. And although... If he had a failure along the way, like if there's a plot hole in like episode five with Luke that you're sitting there going, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm -hmm. And then last Jedi goes, hey, guess what? Remember that shit you didn't like in Empire? Fuck you. We just pointed it out. <laughs> that That's an earned fuck you. Uh -huh. But last Jedi did it because I think Ryan Johnson, when you, you're right, as a movie itself, it's a well-constructed movie from beginning to end if you don't know anything about the legacy characters. But if you do know something about them, you realize he abandoned those characters mm -hmm. for no good reason other than to do his own thing. And this is where, uh, much like with 
James Bond with the the last run of Bond films. Yeah. Uh, for me, almost all of them went up in my estimation when I watched them back to back. Yes. Instead of watching them over the course of years, especially Quantum of Solace. You know what's funny is that I appreciated Quantum of Solace after two more Bond movies. Yeah. Like I realized what they were doing. It was the first time. That is the Daniel Craig series, the first series of Bond movies that actually tie all together. Yeah. Because I thought that was brilliant. Yep. And I remember watching Quantum going, what happened? And then like two movies later, they brought stuff back from Quantum. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. They, yes. dar- they Thor the Dark World did this. Yes. Where Endgame made Thor the Dark World relevant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what this did. And I was like, I think the Daniel Craig Bond movies are the strongest set of Bond movies. Yes. And they, I know the Sean Connery fans are saying, he's not my Bond. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do think uh, if I watch them, if I watched uh, the sequel yeah. series, uh, as it were, um, back to back to back, I might have a different feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what your little speech <laughs> has made me do is reconsider Force Awakens. I think I maybe didn't give that one quite enough credit. Really? Yes. Because Force Awakens doesn't even acknowledge the prequels. Yes. That's a problem. History is important in Star Wars. I feel like, but once again, as a standalone film, yeah, it, you gave me all the stuff that I liked from the other films. Okay. You gave me the feeling that I had when I was a kid watching these films, when I didn't care about Canon, when I didn't know that there was an overarching story, they were just like three cool movies. Come on. You knew there was a story back then. I don't think when I first watched them, I did. If you have the same characters and you see them over and over again, it's the same story. Yeah. But you watch your Indiana Joneses. It's not the same story. Absolutely. It is. That's why you can watch chronologically. It makes sense. (laughs) In the beginning, Indy is young. He's around his 30s. He's impulsive. By the time he's in uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's now 40-something. He's a a professor now. He's gotten past that point of fortune and glory. Now he's about being more selfless. And by the third movie, now he's learning that he's got more in common with his past than anything else. Mm -hmm. It's a continual story. Up until now, never considered that. Uh, (laughs) And it doesn't impinge my enjoyment of any of them. No. Um, so I think that Force Awakens much more gave me, uh, gave me those Star Wars vibes, which of course it, it did. did. Absolutely. Of course that it. was the whole point of it. Yes, of course it does. It's JJ Abrams. But also we were so starving for Star Wars at that point. We mm-hmm. didn't even know it was ever going to come back. We thought it was over. One yeah. through six is the story. As far as I'm concerned, it yeah. ends there. If you decide to do one, two and th- or seven, eight, and nine, then just call them one, two, and three of a new saga. Mm-hmm. But don't add them as a part of this because if this ended, rightfully so in Return of the Jedi, the way it did, yes, then all these three movies are as an epilogue that could either A, destroy everything that just happened, or B, at least meet it at the same level and never gurn anything more. Because again, the story's concluded. Yes. Which I can totally understand. And that's why I think uh, if you're looking at them in continuity, it is different than, and it should almost be one through six. And then five is like 0.5 
in point seven five of the new. You see what I'm saying? Like, if they put decimals in the episodes, that'd be so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what is it? Um, Rogue One, episode three point five. I know there's. Uh, uh, what is it? Neon G- Neon Genesis Evangelion, the anime series. Okay. It's films they do that with. Do they really? Yeah, because they're like, oh, this part of the story actually fits in betwixt these other two things you've already seen. Okay. So you have like weird stuff like that. They did the same with um, the video game with the Disney characters and the Final Fantasy characters together. Um, Kingdom Hearts. I never heard of this. It's pretty cool. My oldest is into it big time. It's a video game? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All kinds of things out there. I ate. <laughs> Y'all got kids. You see more shit than I do. <laughs> uh, but the... So I think, can I hold on these? Yes, of course you can. And maybe do a call-in or something at some point in time when I've watched them all back to back. Absolutely. Okay. No. It, yeah. It's just a matter of like, you know, Last Jedi is one of those lightning rod issues for everybody. Yes. You know, it is. And having, I really ruminated on our conversation. I was really thinking about, I was like, okay. Cause my whole thing is when I talk with somebody else, I don't, I like to learn more about how they think. Mm-hmm. Like you've given some grades that I don't agree with, but I'm not sitting there contentiously going, you're wrong, it's subjective. Right. I love to hear how you think about it because the more I learn from you, the more I learn about myself. Right. And like there's certain grades I've raised up because of things that you have said. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I never thought of that. And so, you know, one of the things where it's like, you know, let. The Last Jedi conversation is never going to go away. No, it, it is it not. It will never go away. Perhaps delightfully so. Yeah, but it, it was just one of those things like, you know, I look at the high grades here that were there, which was JC and Joel's because they did it. It was, the, there was their cinema score. It was the day after they walked out of the theater. Uh-huh. That's why it's an 85, 88. But then you look at Joe, Steve, and Sam. This is like three year, two years later. Okay. And we're talking about, I was like, okay, let's talk about this movie now. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we, we, we found a lot of issue with it. But again, I agree with you. As a movie, in the sequel trilogy, I think it is the best crafted movie of yes. the three movies. I think if you were just to have the, if you just had those three movies and that's it, mm-hmm. I could make a case that Last Jedi is an A. I could absolutely do it. If all we had was seven, eight, nine, you just called it one, two, and three, and I never saw any of the other Star Wars, mm-hmm. Last Jedi is an A for me. But I have seen the other Star Wars. Uh-huh. And it's episode eight. It is not episode two. Okay. <laughs> That's my rationale behind it. But we can revisit those whenever you wish. Yeah. This is an ongoing, evolving list. Well, and my feeling on things being part of a larger canon mm-hmm. is something that's evolving as well. Yes. Because uh, in general, I, I don't like the idea of um, continuity between things. See, I, I think uh, that's important. Especially for, when you have different directors. You could say that- like, That makes sense. Like every um, every Alien film mm-hmm. is a middle finger to the last one. I don't know. Aliens wasn't one to Alien. Oh, you take like this very small, personal, like um, intimate yeah. kind of horror film and you turn it into a big action film. But the rationale behind it of how the story progressed at that point made sense. 80 years later, they've now terraformed that entire place without knowing that there was something there. Oh, <laughs> I think story-wise it is stylistically, it is a middle finger. 
Like we're going so hard in a different direction, but you also know why the movie got made. Well, it got made because he couldn't make Terminator uh, 2, right? right? Uh, it got made because he walked into the room and said, I want to make an alien movie. And they're like, that's not a franchise. What mm. are you talking about? And he wrote on the chalkboard, alien. And then drew the S. And drew the S and made it into a dollar sign. Yeah. That's why that movie. <laughs> well, that's how he <laughs> sold the movie to the people. That was it. But when you look at what his vision was, it did pay reverence to what had happened before because you had the legacy character in Ripley who had not changed. She okay. knew what the danger was. She did everything she could to warn them about it. Uh, there is a book that I'm listening to right now that comes with uh, some annotations by the author mm -hmm. on his website because um, it is so... Over the course of the series, he has uh, something like over 300 point-of-view characters that you check in with okay. over these 10 books. Yeah. Um, it's not so much about like you're following one character through all this stuff. It is, here is the history of these continents that were at war. Okay. So he's got this annotated portion. There's a really cool um, Google slides that somebody has put together <laughs> of like, when you meet these characters, these are the ones that you're going to follow. Yeah. Someone else dies in the first scene, but you think they're going to be a main character all this kind of stuff. Um, I would like a version of that that gets me between all the different Star Wars especially the things that I haven't seen up to this point yeah. or uh, don't know should be part of the continuing story like Rogue One and or, you know, all these different things. Yeah. Rogue, yeah. Rogue One, I, I don't understand why it exists, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll say this and that in, in, I think this is the the happy medium we can find as for right now, which is there was a lot of mishandling since Disney bought it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, down, from the very moment that they bought it and they threw away Lucas's scripts mm -hmm. and decided we're going to do our own thing. That was like mistake number one. Mistake number two was trying to hire three different directors from the get-go. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to have Abrams do everything. Right. Abrams claims that he was supposed to do the first two, but they had already hired Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevorrow for the third. Yes. So that, in, as you said earlier, having different directors try to maintain continuity is going to be a near impossible task. Uh, having a specific timeline, we got to crank these movies out every two years. And if we don't do it, then we're not going to make our money. It was Star Wars. You were going to make money no matter what. And the big, when you look at what happened story-wise and then how it was made, which was as Abrams is making Force Awakens, you got Ryan Johnson just staring at dailies trying to create his own story and hoping it fits with everything else because again, it's mismanaged from the very top. Right. I think Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams and J.J. Twice mm -hmm. did the best they could with what they were given. They were handed... To, pair of sixes and a seven and eight and a four in their poker hand. <laughs> yes. And they somehow bluffed their way to making some profitable movies. Yeah. Do I think that if they had done what they're now saying, which is let's follow the James Bond model and maybe every three years we put out a movie, mm -hmm. you give these guys more time on it. And all of a sudden you start to see more craft. You see more uh, 
more discussion between properties. What did you guys do here? Why did you do that? But Ryan Johnson was under a, a thumb to get this thing done because they couldn't wait to make money off of this. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, I think Ryan Johnson made the best movie he could with what he was given and okay. inserted himself in things that he likes about what he does stylistically right. with, you know, I'm going to subvert everything because that's what I like to do. Right. Fantastic. But if you were given another year, could you have played in the sandbox with JJ to figure out more of the story and work mm -hmm. together for the continuity? And I think in that regard, I can't blame Ryan Johnson for The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. I blame the timetable. Which a lot of that is not stuff uh, that I follow that closely. Yeah. And it's weird because this is a, once again, an ongoing discussion that I have with myself as far as, okay, uh, a lot of the Hollywood history stuff, I mm -hmm. don't necessarily connect to the movies that have gotten made. Yeah. I think it's interesting, but uh, that big book, Hollywood, if you gave me a book titled Goshen, Indiana, would I find it as interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Because it is just history. Like there's fascinating things that could be come out of anywhere. Uh, but how much do you like, okay, movies that come out concurrently that have, that cover similar topics uh, versus, you know, things that are in conversation over years and years. Yeah. Um, it's still a weird sticky point for me where I feel like I shouldn't necessarily look at the business as part of the movies, but when things have become so inextricably tied together, like Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, when it impacts the creative process because of time uh, or any other reason, frankly, yeah, like there are things that have gotten made in certain ways or have not gotten made in certain ways because of the edicts of, uh, and it's different than I think a suit inserting themselves because they think they have a creative vision when someone is literally saying, um, tick tock, tick tock, you have a date for this. Yes. That, I think that's a different conversation than someone just saying, uh, hey, I know I'm not a creative, but there's a cool thing that I think would be neat to fit in a movie. Well, fun thing about this is that J.J. Abrams at the time, when he did Force Awakens, they had an initial release date and they moved it back six months. Okay. Because J.J. Abrams is a is a established yes. box office director. Absolutely. So they move it from May to December. And it came out in December. Mm -hmm. Ryan Johnson doesn't move his date. Right. And when, and his came out, I believe in May. I believe it came out in May. Okay. I think it was. Um, no, no, no. It came out in December also because it was exactly two years from the date. That was what they wanted to do. Two years from the date. Uh, and then when JJ made the third one, it was supposed to come out in December. And he pushed it back six months again so uh -huh. it could come out in May, the original dates of the original trilogy. Okay. Came out three weeks before those, but anyway. Right. Um, but that was the thing is that JJ had the clout to say, we're not doing this right now, we're moving it. Trust me, you'll make money. Right. Ryan, I don't think had the clout yet to pull that off. I don't think he had the cachet yet yeah. behind him to do that. Um, And I believe that if today Ryan Johnson was making that movie, he'd have been like, I need six more months, man. Yeah. Six more, please. We got, we got iron some things out, but there's another interesting thing is that the box office and how the people responded to rise of Skywalker based off of what had happened with solo oh. and last Jedi. 
Rise of Skywalker, the final chapter in Star Wars. Supposedly. The worldwide gross was just over a billion dollars for the final chapter. Uh-huh. That's a failure because Star Wars was a worldwide product. Yeah. And what's funny is that the I think the highest grossing movie was Last Jedi of the three. It was the highest grossing because people were like, we love Force Awakens. Let's go Last Jedi, baby. Yeah. So I wonder uh, what the week to week fall off of each of them was. So Rise of Skywalker, I've got it here at box office. So you can see here, let's see. 80, okay. So it's going, it flatlines in, well, right around there. Mm -hmm. So that's about a month into being in the theaters. Okay. If you go to Last Jedi, Last Jedi made 1.3 billion worldwide. Okay. But it got the initial boost mm -hmm. and within a month leveled out. Yeah, it's, it is a much sharper climb and quicker leveling off. People stopped going right away. Yeah. They knew something was up. And then when you followed this up with Solo, a Star Wars story, <laughs> <sighs> this is gonna be sad. 393 million. Wow. The What had happened with it was people saw Last Jedi, they didn't come out in their droves, and it levels off within a month at 314. There's yeah. no repeat watching. People are done. And that's why when you look at The Rise of Skywalker, you got burned by two movies. You had a controversial Rogue One in there. Mm -hmm. We And this is also 2018. Guess what's coming out just around the corner? Endgame. Oh, uh, okay. And people are saying, oh, this is how you do it. Let's see what Rise of Skywalker does. Now, Rise of Skywalker, their ending is identical. <laughs>